wise and gracious prophet once uttered the words, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I'm just kidding. Mary Poppins was not a prophet, nor was she a teacher. In fact, she's a dirty, rotten liar. And I know that uttering that sentence possibly may make my wife love me less because of her undying, unflinching love for Mary Poppins, but I stand by what I said. Because there is no amount of sugar, there is no chasing it with water, there's no holding your nose method that will make liquid Robitussin go down easy. I spent the greater portion of my life running away from liquid Robitussin. But I guess I understand what she's trying to say, right? Because we always want to look for the silver lining on every cloud. We always, when we have to deliver bad news, want to do our best to soften it with a little bit of good news. We want to sugarcoat whatever things may seem unpleasant so that the person that we're giving this information to will either receive it well or be more likely to participate. Jesus did not go to the Mary Poppins school. In fact, Jesus had a tendency to do the opposite. And as we're looking through this series, through the book of Luke and the teachings of Christ, we see Jesus teaching about this amazing, wonderful kingdom of God that he came to bring in to the world. And so we see Jesus coming in saying, listen, I am bringing with me a kingdom that will surpass everything you could have ever imagined in any dream that you've ever had. I'm bringing something so good, you can't possibly wrap your mind around it. But it's going to be difficult. Not only is it going to be difficult, but it's going to be something that even though you receive it free of charge, may cost you everything that you have before you're able to fully receive it. Now, as Jesus was going around and teaching about the kingdom, we know that he was performing miracles that he was teaching deep truth, that we were seeing people healed all around Jesus. And so, of course, the congregations were growing more and more and more, and there were a lot of reasons to follow Jesus. But as all of this was catching on, Jesus was constantly reminding the people what it meant to not simply be around him, but to follow him. And as he's teaching about the kingdom of God, we also see Jesus preparing the disciples. Because he knew that there was going to come a time when they were going to have to continue this work without him by their side. And in the same way, he's also preparing and teaching each and every one of us as we read these words today. To give us insight into what it looks like to be people who follow Jesus in the good times and in the bad. To follow Jesus when the path may be easy and when the path may be difficult. And so today, as we've been continuing over the last few weeks, we're looking at how we live in the kingdom of God and what our role and responsibility is. And we're going to be reminded, as we have been over the last several weeks, that entrance into the kingdom of God is free, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that it doesn't cost us anything to become a follower of Jesus, that we don't have to be a certain kind of person to enter the kingdom, but Jesus calls us by his grace freely into his presence. And this kingdom has an inheritance that is perfect and wonderful, and that we have a hope in Jesus that is greater than anything we could ever endure. But in between entrance and inheritance, there is a life that we're called to live following Jesus that at times is very costly. And so we're going to look at two passages of Scripture in Luke chapter 9 this morning. 
beginning in verse 23 through 27, and then jumping over to verses 57 through 62. This is the word of God. And he, Jesus, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. From verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, as we do week after week, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel that being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, being saved is something that you give to us freely to anyone who would receive it. God, we thank you that the reward that comes from being a follower of Jesus is greater than we could ever imagine and something that we could not only never earn, but something that we could never deserve. But God, we know, as Jesus tells us over and over again, that a life that follows after you can often be a life that is costly, and sometimes you may lead us into situations that are difficult. So God, I pray that you teach us to have the mentality of a follower of Jesus, that wherever you lead, we're going to follow. Wherever you call us to go, we're going to go. Whatever you call us to do, we're going to do, because we recognize that our lives belong to you. But not only that, that even if following Jesus costs us everything we have, even our lives, we know that we have a hope greater than death, and that we have a promise for all of eternity in you. And so help us to see the big picture to put the difficulties of this life into perspective and to deal with hardships, to deal with difficult things with grace, with peace, and with joy as we pursue after you in all that we do. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, our King. Amen. The first thing we see in this passage is that a life following Jesus is a life of sacrifice. Very simply, very plainly, but very difficultly, a life following Jesus is a life of sacrifice. In Luke chapter 9, before we get to the passages that we're reading today, a lot of stuff has gone on. The chapter begins with Jesus sending out his 12 disciples to take a trial run at their first mission to go and spread the kingdom of God, to spread that message without him by their side. And he sends them out into towns and into villages to teach about the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come into the world to bring the kingdom of God and to save the lost. We see Jesus feed over 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and just a couple fish. 
sowing the power that he has and the amazing power of God that moves in and through Christ. And as the disciples see these things, they begin to recognize on a deeper level who Jesus is. Even to the point that when Jesus looks at his disciples and he asks them that question, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter steps up and he says, I know now, I get it. At first I thought you were a good teacher. At first I thought you were just this amazing miracle worker. But I know now that there's something different about you. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ. You're the son of God. And with all of this stuff happening, with all these things moving around, with the disciples finally starting to get it, there's an energy building around Jesus and his followers. There's an excitement building around this man who's going from town to town and preaching this amazing message of the kingdom of God and that people are being healed, that sight is being restored, and that there is good news going out to the poor and the broken and the needy. All of a sudden, Jesus is starting to get some attention. And there's some excitement building with his followers. Then Jesus comes and he does something strange. And he just douses that flame. Twice, in fact, in Luke chapter 9. Because in the middle of all these amazing things happening, on two separate occasions in Luke chapter 9, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Hey, I know you guys are excited. I know you're really hopeful about everything that's going to happen, but I need you to, right here, focus. I've got to die. This is not going to end the way that you think it's going to end. You think that we're heading towards this big crescendo where we take over the Roman Empire and everything works out in your favor, but things are about to get a lot more difficult before they get better. He says, listen, I'm going to come back. In three days, I'll be back. I'm going to raise from the dead, and you're going to see the power of God in this amazing way. But before this happens, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be punished, and I'm going to be put to death. But not only does Jesus predict his own death, but he also invites his followers to come along. See here in this first passage of scripture here in chapter 9, verse 23, he said to everyone around him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. And now remember, this is before the crucifixion. This is even before Jesus predicts his death the second time. And so this is only one thing kind of in the back of their minds that Jesus is saying he's going to go and die. And so they don't know the fullness of what this is going to look like, but they certainly knew what crucifixion was. They certainly understood how brutal and awful this way of death would be. And so surely they were having to sit around thinking, is he meaning this? Literally, are we all about to be crucified and die? Is this some sort of metaphor? What does it mean to take up our cross daily and follow after Jesus? Either way, kind of a mood killer. See, the ultimate goal that all of us have, I would venture to say that most of us at least understand this, the big goal at the end of the day is to be alive at the end of the day, right? We have our plans, we have our ambitions, we have all the things that we want to take place, but even on the worst day, if we can find ourselves laying in our bed and still doing that, then everything is mostly okay because we're still breathing. That is option number one. I want to make it through this day and get to another one. But that's not really what Jesus is all about. He says here that we are on a mission to follow after him. And he says that it's our responsibility if we're going to follow after him to deny ourselves, 
to recognize that we are not the most important thing happening in the day and that our well-being itself is not the most important thing, that everything about our lives should be focused outward. To live out those two greatest commandments of loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves, denying ourselves and looking to the good of others and to the glory of God. But even more than that, he says that we carry our cross daily. That we pick up this life of sacrifice, that we pick up this life of self-denial every single day from the moment that we get out of bed, our focus is on God's glory and on the lives of others, dying to ourselves and living for Christ. And then once we can do that, then we can take the steps to follow after Jesus. And this is something so contrary to the way that the world works. This is something so backwards to what we're taught every single day of our lives because we're supposed to look out for ourselves. We're supposed to consume as much as we possibly can and then do whatever we want to do. But Jesus here teaches us that it's all about denying ourselves and carrying only our cross to follow after Jesus wherever he leads and wherever he goes. And so we have to recognize as followers of Jesus that everything that we hold dear, even our life itself, we have the responsibility to be ready to lose it all if Jesus calls us to and to follow completely and totally after him. And doing this requires a total shift in priority and perspective. And in verse 25, Jesus helps us to see that. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so now Jesus is getting into that deep, deep, deep thing about who are we? What are we made of? And Jesus reminds us that we are not our possessions, that you are not your reputation or the things that you have. You're not even your final breath, but that we were made to be children of God for all of eternity. That our identity was made to be restored in Christ. And Jesus is now asking us, are you willing to throw all of that away for something that is temporary and something that is fleeting? And this is about more than those catchphrases. This is more of a perspective shift than just realizing that we can't take it all with us or that we should not waste our lives. This is about a willingness to lose everything we have in order to gain much more. Jesus says, come to me with all the stuff you have, with all the stuff that you think is so important, with all the things that matter so much to you, and lay them down on the altar. But all too often, we come with our fists closed tightly, with those things in our life that we say, God, you can have all of this other stuff, but this thing right here, this is of the most value to me, and so if you let me have this, then I'll give you everything else. But this life requires sacrifice one way or the other. We're either going to sacrifice in a way that neglects Jesus, that neglects the calling that he has on our life and gratifies our temporary desires, or we're going to sacrifice those temporary things to take hold of something eternal. And even though the sacrifice required to follow Jesus may seem immense and impossibly large, it's nothing to the sacrifice that could be made in the alternative. And so it's our responsibility to be really introspective. 
to look inside and to look in our lives and identify the things that we feel like we can't live without. And then learn to see Jesus as greater than those things. To put a higher value on Christ and a life following Christ than those things, but also to be reminded that we can trust those things in the hand of a gentle God. And to know that all these things that are so important to us, that they're important to God too. And that he has a plan and a purpose for all those things that we lay in his life and learn to trust God with those things more than we trust ourselves. And to be able to recognize that we have a God who gives and takes away, but God is good and God works all things to the good of those who love him. And even if he were to take everything from us, he's going to give us something so much greater. So we have to have a life of sacrifice. We also need to have a life of boldness. A life following Jesus requires boldness. I noticed that Netflix is putting out a reboot of Lost in Space. I don't know how I feel about that. The last reboot of Lost in Space was a movie in the 90s, which when I saw it was pretty good, but I was also like 10. And on further inspection, not very good. And so I'm a little worried because I'm very serious about my Lost in Space. I love my mid-century science fiction, and I love the beauty and the campiness and the colors. And so Netflix better be careful with my baby. But in Lost in Space, if you haven't seen it, first and foremost, shame on you. Find it. It's easy to access now. It's a world where you can see anything anytime you want it. Watch Lost in Space. It's great. Lost in Space, the premise is there are people, and they are lost in space. And there's one guy who finds a way onto the ship. He's not supposed to be there. His name is Dr. Smith. And Dr. Smith weasels his way onto the ship, and he's just a problem for the rest of of the show's existence. And part of the reason that Dr. Smith is such a problem is that he is a giant coward. And his cowardice is constantly getting the rest of the crew in all kinds of trouble. And we see all throughout media and everything that usually the best villains, the most unlikable people inside of media, inside of books, and all these kind of areas of fiction are the people who have this high level of cowardice. All throughout history, it's been something very not respectable. In fact, we know that in our own lives, too. If you've ever had moments where cowardice seems to take over, you know the feeling of shame and difficulty. I know in those moments in my life, it's hard to look at myself in the mirror when I've experienced that kind of cowardice, where I knew that I should be bold, but instead, I backed away. And so because I know how I feel in those moments, I can't imagine how Peter must have felt. After denying Jesus three times as Jesus is on trial awaiting his death. And then after the resurrection, Peter is standing in the presence of Jesus. And I wonder how often he thought about it. I wonder how often he felt it. Now, because we don't see that inside of Scripture, my hope and my prayer is that when Peter saw the resurrected Jesus, it took all of that shame and all of that guilt away. But I'm sure it had to be difficult. But for most of us, I would venture to say that very few of us would deny Jesus explicitly. That if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and somebody asked you that question, even in a very difficult situation, maybe we would be a little sheepish about it. Maybe we would would soften some corners a little bit. But very few of us would do what Peter did and just outright deny knowing Jesus at all. And so maybe we're safe when Jesus, in verse 26, says, For whoever is ashamed of me and ashamed when he comes into excuse me, ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 
But the reality is, when we do feel shame towards Jesus and the gospel, our shame and our cowardice can often look more tame and sometimes even unnoticeable. And I think especially in the country in which we live, it can be easy to be ashamed of Jesus without anybody even paying attention. Because no matter how much culture seems to be shifting and changing, and no matter how much people want to, want to whine about it and notice all that stuff that's going on, it is still a very safe place to be a follower of Jesus here. And you can live a life that reflects some American values. You can live a life that fits inside of Christian culture and kind of hide in plain sight when it comes to speaking about the gospel. And the reality is a lot of us have been shamed into silence. And I don't mean that in a cultural sense, because right now, if you were to say Christians have been shamed into silence, most people would think about that from a moral standpoint or a cultural standpoint, but that is, that's not what we're talking about here. In fact, I think this kind of cultural political correctness thing that we're arguing about all the time has distracted us from the fact that we have stopped speaking clearly about the message of the gospel about the good news that Jesus came into the world, that the Son of God came into the world to live and to die and to be raised again so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that Jesus came with the message of bringing hope to the hopeless and peace to the brokenhearted. And we have been shamed into not talking about that because we would prefer being cultural Christians over ambassadors of the gospel. Because it's a little more awkward to talk about the Son of God raised again three days and go about our mission to love our neighbor as ourselves than it is to complain about the changing and shifting of our culture. But Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And if we've trusted in Christ, that means that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he is unashamed of us, even though he should be even though we've done nothing in our lives that can honor and glorify God the way that we should, even though we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says that when we trust in Christ, that Jesus looks at us and through his blood, he says, you belong to me and I love you and you are mine and I am yours and there is no shame when Christ talks to the Father about us and we become sons and daughters of God. You see, Jesus not only takes our shame when we trust in Christ. Jesus not only removes our guilt and forgives our sin, but Jesus becomes unashamed of us. We go from being children of God's wrath, as Scripture says, to being sons and daughters of God, loved by the God who spoke the world into existence. And so, yes, there are things in this world that can make us cower in fear. There are things in this world that can make us ashamed. Sometimes those things are very large. Sometimes they're very small. I told you last week when we were talking about the importance of sharing our faith and sharing the gospel, I am terrible at that. I'm the world's worst at individual conversations, especially about faith. And I say weird things. I do weird things. I make weird faces, which, by the way, on a side note, if you notice that I'm winking a lot or something, I have a twitch in my eye. And so if I wink at you or if I look at you with what seems to be murderous intent, it is not you, it is my eye. And I want to throw it out of my head against the wall. But I say things like that on a regular basis to people that I've just met. I don't know why I say those things, but I do. And so when I'm trying to talk about Jesus, when I'm trying to share my faith, a lot of times I walk away feeling very nervous, very ashamed. And sometimes I'm so concerned about that and what people are going to think about me and the weird things that come out of my mouth that I don't. 
And so sometimes it's the big things that keep us in shame. Sometimes it's the small things. Look what Jesus says here. He says, whoever's ashamed of these words of mine, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What Jesus describes here is something much bigger than any fear this world can bring. So yes, there are absolutely things that make us nervous. There are absolutely things that make us a little fearful. There are absolutely times in our lives where those fears are going to be valid. But when we go out and we talk about the gospel, we are proclaiming the power of God. And the Bible teaches us over and over again that the gospel gives us strength. That the gospel makes us strong. That the gospel is the power of God. And we're not given a spirit of fear or timidity, but we are given a spirit of boldness. And that we can cry out to our God who works in us and through us and sends us out. And God is not going to send us out ill-prepared to do what he's called us to do. And so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be ashamed. We can recognize that following Jesus requires boldness. And that it's not our job to count the cost. But it's our job to remember the price that Jesus paid. And because of that, we have nothing to fear, nothing to be ashamed of. And we can go out and we can proclaim the good news of Jesus everywhere that we go. And so we have to have a life of sacrifice, a life of boldness. And then finally, we need a life willing to be moved. Again, it must have been a strange and incredible thing to be following Jesus during this time. To see everything that they had saw. To get to experience all the things that were taking place and all the things that were going on around them. It had to be enticing and alluring. And in verses 57 through 62, we start to see exactly how that was going. Because Jesus and his disciples were just walking down the road and somebody jumps off the street and says, Hey, hey, hey I want to go with you. I want to follow you wherever you go. The translation of that is pretty understandable. He says, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this movement. I want to be a part of this thing that happens. Because getting caught up in movements and in things that are taking place, that's not new. That didn't come with the advent of social media. People have always wanted to be a part of things that were moving and shaking the world. And so this bystander looked on to everything that was going on around Jesus and said, I want to be a part of that. And understandably so. But as we move through this section, we also see some other people who say the same thing, but with a little bit of reality setting in. In verse 59, Jesus said to somebody, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. In verse 61, yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. I want to go. I really do. I think that everything that you've got going on is really awesome. I want to be a part of this movement. I want to be a part of all these things that are happening. Everything looks great. If you could just give me five. Just give me a couple days, give me a couple moments. I've got to go take care of some things at home. I've got some things that need to be addressed, some things on the agenda. If you can let me check these boxes, if you just hold on right here, then I'll be right behind you. But then Jesus responds. 
Verse 59 and 60, he says, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, man, this is heavy. Let the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. To the one who said, let me say farewell to those at home. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus isn't calling people to say some kind of prayer and change how they refer to themselves. Jesus isn't calling us just to go to church on Sundays or go to community groups throughout the week or to do some things that look somewhat Christian. Jesus is calling us to be his followers. He's not calling us just to take some steps to fix our lives, but to commit to a lifelong pursuit of Jesus. And that means that we do that whenever and wherever he calls. I like to mountain bike. I haven't done it in a while, which means that the next time that I do that, it's going to be tragic because I'm not in what you would call good shape. And sometimes I ride with people that are in good shape. And now when you go to mountain bike trails, really quick summary of this, sometimes there are easy trails to follow. Some of them are just big loops. Those are nice. Those are comfortable for me. Sometimes there are trails that are really well marked. I can handle those. I can navigate those. Sometimes it looks like the trail designers were eating pasta the night before and saw a vision in the bowl of spaghetti and thought, this is what I want my trail to look like. And no, I don't want to put a single sign anywhere on this trail. Those trails give me a lot of problems because, as I mentioned, not in good shape. Sometimes there are people who are in good shape. What happens in those moments is I know that those people are going to be farther than me. And so let's just pretend that it's my brother Alan in front of me, and it usually is. And so he goes, and he's riding in front of me. And then the person in the back who's in less good shape will pretend that might be me in this scenario, has to say, get off their bike, walk up a hill, throw up, cry, something along those lines. And then I look up and maybe he's taking a turn and maybe he's taking another turn and now I'm lost and sad and again in tears and just sitting in a corner or in a hole or wherever I can find myself until someone finds me. Because when you're following somebody and you stop to look the other direction for even a moment, sometimes you can be left behind. And that's what Jesus is communicating here. He says, listen, if you're ready to follow me, then come follow me. But you can't put your hand to the plow and turn around because we have something to do. We have a mission to accomplish. We have a place that we're going. We have to go out and spread the kingdom of God. And so if you want to be with me, then come with me. But we've got to get moving. And he reminds us that it won't always be easy or convenient. It may rip us out of the places where we feel most comfortable, but once we put our feet to following Jesus, it's time to go. And that may require sacrifice. Again, it may require that we are not only comfortable in letting Jesus take control of the things that we love, but also the places that we go and the people who are in our lives and our our physical geographic location itself. And I like being at home. And that can be difficult. But then on the other side, there's another side of this coin too. Because sometimes Jesus calls us to stay. Because maybe you're in here and you're you're a goer. You got that missionary spirit. I want to go wherever you go. And you got t-shirts that say things like that. Like, I will will follow you wherever you want to go. And I will go to the ends of the earth for you. And Jesus says, great, that sounds amazing. Stay here. And that can be really frustrating too because we can feel stuck or we can feel like we're not doing everything that we're supposed to do or reaching our maximum potential for following after Jesus. And so there can be a frustration in following Jesus exactly where we are. 
but we have to be willing to be moved whenever and wherever Jesus calls us to be. And so this may cost us our comfort. It may cost us our dreams. It may cost us our ability to sit still or it may cost us our ambition to get out and go. But like we've seen all through this passage of scripture, the reward that comes from following Jesus is so much greater than what it costs. Paul recognized that. Paul knew what it was like to be set still for the cause of Christ and to be sent all over the world. Paul knew what it meant to follow Jesus with a lot or with a little. Paul was a man who he reached all of his ambitions, all of his goals, all the things that he was pursuing in his life. Paul had them all. He had the reputation. He had the knowledge. He was a leader among leaders. People looked to him for counsel. And then he met Jesus. And he said, everything that I once held dear, everything that I once clung to with everything inside of me, everything that I'd followed my entire life, I count all of that as loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus. And so if he takes it all away, fine. If he sends me far away from it, fine. Or if he keeps me in the midst of it, I will do whatever Jesus wants me to do because all of that stuff is lost if I don't have Christ. And if I have Christ, that's all that I need can't follow Jesus in cement shoes. And you can't follow Jesus if you're running ahead of him. We have to be ready and willing to move whenever and wherever he calls and to trust him in the process. And so following Jesus is a beautiful life. It's full of purpose. It's full of wonder. There are times when it does feel easy. There are times when things do click and everything's moving the way that we would like for it to move. But there are also times when it's difficult. Following Jesus is free and costs nothing for us to take that first step, but it doesn't mean that that life isn't costly. But in Jesus, we have a Savior who sacrificed everything for us. And it's our calling to do the same for him, but to also do the same for our neighbors. To be messengers of the kingdom, not only by talking explicitly about the gospel and telling people about the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son and that when we trust in Christ, we can have salvation now and forevermore, but also to go out and proclaim the message that the gospel is good news to the poor. It lifts up the brokenhearted. It fathers the fatherless and cares for the widows and the orphans. And to be messengers of the gospel in word and in deed in all that we do, no matter what the cost may be. It's hard. Sometimes it's exhausting. And sometimes God gives us far more than we feel like we can handle. But we have a God who can handle all things. And we can put our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our stresses, our burdens, and our anxieties all in his hands and trust him to be a good and gentle father who cares for us as we follow him. And so let's be people who follow after Christ no matter the cost.